0: This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Patreon community sponsor, our friend Isaiah, and we thank all our patrons for their monthly support of Priority One Podcast.
1: Admirals, you're listening to episode 197 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded in part on Thursday, November 6th, 2014, and available for download or streaming on Monday, November 10th, 2014, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Dr. Robert. And in the recording studio is our audio engineer, Skiffy. Hello, guys. This week, Captains, we welcome back special guest host and longtime friend of the show, Dr. Robert Hurt, visualization scientist for NASA's JPL and the Spitzer Space Telescope. Dr. Robert, thanks for joining us again this week.
2: I don't scare off easily.
1: No, good, I'm glad you don't, because last week was a fantastic episode with some amazing review of Delta Rising features that were released, and we'll get to more of that later. But uh, in the meantime, why don't you tell us what we have in store this week?
2: Well, Admirals, this week I'm here to trek out the birth of an alien planet. In Star Trek Online news, we keep things short as most of us still have plenty of Delta Rising content to go through. Nonetheless, Cryptic has been busy patching a lot of the features that have been the most debated on since the launch of the expansion. Later, we present our interview with Star Trek Online's lead writer, Christine Kestrel-Thompson, and content designer, Kate Bankson. Finally, towards the end of the show, we'll open Hailing Frequencies and review your incoming messages admirals
1: we've seen several of you contribute to the production of priority one podcast already via patreon.com forward slash priority one and it's amazing that we're already at 78 percent of our monthly financial goal. so right now all we need is just 11 more listeners to contribute four dollars a month and we'll have reached our monthly operating costs
0: that's only one dollar per episode this production is a volunteer endeavor brought together by the love and passion we all share for Star Trek. Please consider a monthly contribution by visiting patreon.com forward slash priority one. Please consider supporting Priority One Podcast so that we can keep the lights on.
1: Alright, Admirals, let's look to the stars and trek out what's happening in the night sky with Dr. Robert Hurt. Uh,
0: then
3: let's trek
0: it out.
2: For this week's Trek It Out, we're going to visit an image that's familiar from the beginning of every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. You know how that opening sequence begins with this lovely disk of swirling material around a forming star with planets just in the process of being born? Well, this week, astronomers have released an astounding radio image of the star system HL Tau and the incredible protoplanetary disk of dusty material that's swirling around it. In this image, we can actually make out a series of rings of material separated by gaps which themselves point at the possibility of the formation of planets. Now, the resolution of this image is incredible. It was made with the ALMA radio telescope array with individual radio telescopes separated by as much as 9 kilometers creating a huge baseline that actually operates like one giant radio dish. As a result, it's given us an unprecedented degree of resolution in this image, letting us see features on the same scale as our own solar system, and hinting at things that may well be Jupiter and even terrestrial-sized planets forming at different locations throughout the star system. If you haven't had a chance to see it yet, I advise you to go check out the link in the show notes and explore Tau for yourself. All the while, you hum the Star Trek opening theme song in your head. So, the dark rings, is that matter or is that empty space? That is empty space. So, everything that's glowing there is the, the radiation and dust material glowing. and Everywhere there's a gap. You know, basically, we don't get any emission from it. And while it is very dependent on uh, models of how planets form these gaps really do seem to indicate through the, the sort of the dynamical models and simulations we make that you probably condensed something like a planet out of some of that material, thus leaving that uh, empty space. And when you said that it's, it's several radio telescopes
1: working together, is it so they're each taking a almost like a quadrant
2: photo of what's going on and then they, ma- they kind of piece it together? Actually it's even more bizarre than that. It's a, a series of telescopes that are all um, recording data at the same time. It's what we call a uh, radio interferometer. And what they do is they look at the pairings of each set of two possible combinations of telescopes and look at all the permutations. And by doing this and applying a fair amount of mathematical processing to it, you can actually tease out of that signal the, the, just the, uh, the, uh, the beats, if you will, like, like when you play two tuning forks and you get sort of beat patterns. Each combination of two dishes working together when you fold it all into one system lets you deconstruct the signal into this actual reconstruction of the image of what it would look like if you really did have a single giant telescope and mapped it out.
3: Well, this is the same concept that the VLA uses, right? The Very Large Array. They have all those telescopes and they tune them by moving them for different distances from each other.
2: Right. This is this is an identical uh, concept as the Very Large Array, which you know anyone who's seen Contact has watched Jodie Foster sort of sitting out with their laptop in front of, but by basically distributing a series of telescopes individually that can be much smaller it, spreading them out over a large area, and then looking how the signals between every pairing of every combination of two telescope pairs kind of interacts, we can tease out of that a reconstruction of what the image would look like if we had been able to make it with one giant telescope and the resolution you would get out of something that large.
0: So why is this so important? What does this mean for us?
2: Well, of course, one of the big questions in astronomy for, you know, ever really has been, are there other planets like Earth, or other solar systems like ours, and how did our system form to begin with? Now, in our own system, we can only answer that question through sort of astronomical archaeology, right? We get to see what it's like today, but from that, we can kind of backtrack and guess what we think it was like before. But if we look out in the universe and can find other solar systems that are very, very young, that otherwise might be analogs to what our system was like, it's like looking at someone else's baby pictures to figure out what you may have looked like as a kid.
0: <laughs> I love looking at baby pictures. Of <laughs> that was a good illustration.
2: Well, then this is perfect because it's baby <laughs> pictures of other solar systems. How cute is that? Do they pick existing telescopes to
3: get imagery like this, or do they use, like, Sophia or something and send it to a specific place on the
2: planet? No, the ALMA array was actually very specifically designed to be a a radio telescope array. It's actually located in a high desert in Chile that's uh, above most of the moisture in the atmosphere. And so so every element of this telescope is designed very uh, intentionally to be identical to the others so that they can all sort of interact on a one-to-one basis to get that um, combined data set.
1: (laughs) That's really exciting. Well, Captains, as Dr. Robert Hurt said earlier, we'll have the links, of course, in the show notes. Admirals, discover something you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Then share it with us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or via Twitter at STO Priority one or on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash one.
0: Let's jump into Star Trek Online News.
4: Computer, status report. Status. Incoming Message.
3: I'm only in the mood for good news today. Last week,
0: we spent over an hour just scratching the surface and reviewing all the features that were released in Star Trek Online with Delta Rising. We still have more to cover, like the new Adventure zones, Specialization Talent Trees, Mastery Traits, Intelligent Powers, and the new Tier 6 and Tier 5 Upgrade Ships. Unfortunately, that is not something we can tackle in just a few weeks, so this week... We're turning our attention to the Dev Tracker and patch notes.
1: Since last week's episode, a great deal of the most hotly debated features of Delta Rising received some attention from the cryptic dev team. Forum user English Nod did the community a great service by posting a list of the Spitfire dev posts. And thanks to our video editor, Jerry T, for pointing the thread out. But you can also follow the Dev Tracker on Twitter or on the forums. So, to start with, lead systems designer, phil gorn zaleski posted that an update would be coming to the starship mastery system according to the post they aren't entirely happy with the time to get a tier 6 or tier 5 upgrade to maximum starship mastery level nor am i Gorgonzola, nor am i he goes on to write quote going forward we will explore alternate avenues for rewarding amounts of starship mastery skill points as well as reducing the amount of skill points required." Unfortunately, it looks like his plan to have the skill point reduction introduced in the November 6th patch fell through. So in a follow up post on November 5th, he hopes that some of the changes will make it in the November 13th patch. So yeah, I'm one of those people that doesn't like how long it took to get through the mastery system on my tier 6 escort. Right now, I'm really only flying the tier 6 ships for the purpose of getting through the mastery system and earning those mastery ship traits, but it really has felt like a grind for me, and and the time it took was as long as I feared it was going to be. Like, I didn't hit the final mastery on my tier 6 Phantom until well into level 55. Now, sure, I understand... That there were ground missions in between, and that I wasn't always fighting in space. But I've run quite a few of the mirror runs each day now, including several advanced PvEQs. And it still felt like I was grinding through the mastery. So I, for one, will welcome the patch that shortens that time. So I may actually just start flying my Avenger again during the Delta Rising content, and wait to progress through the mastery trait system on on these other ships, because... I just I didn't feel like I was going anywhere with the mastery trait. It just took way too long for me. So I, I'm I'm really looking forward to this.
2: For me one of the problems with that was that when you shift over to a ship that maybe isn't what your captain really specializes in, you feel like you're kind of stuck with a bad build that just is not going to match your skill allocations and things for for a really long time until you get to that point where you finally get the trait. And so yeah, anything to really make that less of a slog, I think, will help us go through and, and sort of get a taste for these ships without feeling like we're, we're slaves to a poor build for weeks on end.
0: I think a lot of it has to do with whether you love the ship you're flying or not. I love my ship, and it went by so fast. But, like, with you, Elijah, you like your Avenger better than the Tier Six ships, don't you?
1: I do, I do. I do like my Avenger more than I like the Tier VI uh, escort. But, I mean, even then, yeah, there's a there's a level of... of um, passion and love that you have to have for the ship that you're flying and you know the tier 6 wasn't for me um,
0: so it made the time go by really slowly and you were missing your Avenger
1: but not even that but even in, when I switch over to my Avenger it still felt a bit slow in the mastery progression and, and like Robert you pointed out that's excellent because when I even if I want to get the mastery trait in the tier 6 science ship I mean, I'm a tactical officer, and I want that tactical feeling. So I am going to feel very uncomfortable flying this ship while I'm in it because I'm not specced out to be a science officer in any way, shape, or form I'm on any science ship. That's one of the reasons why I don't fly the Vesta, because the Vesta is very much a science-oriented ship for a science officer. So I bought the pack way back when, but I, it's just sitting collecting dust. I haven't flown it. To be
3: fair, there are some really tactically focused um, builds for the Vesta. I mean, I've seen Vestas pull 15, 15k DPS with the right builds.
2: I think the concern here is just more that be, even though those traits can really benefit pretty much any character class of, uh, of Captain... If you don't have the science skills spec'd out, right, and you have that many science uh, slots to fill in your bridge officer seating, you still end up with a ship that you just are not getting anything close to the maximum potential out without either doing a, a respec on your entire character and then undoing it as soon as you switch ships, or, or you just can kind of get through it.
0: Another hot topic from the community has been the rewards players receive from all the new content. In a forum post by lead content designer Charles Gray, an announcement was made that changes were coming to the rewards for content like PvE queues. In his post, Gray writes, and I quote, The number of reputation marks players are getting are no longer adequate for their time investment. Accordingly, we will be increasing mark rewards on all queues that are currently under-rewarding. There are also a small number of queues that are significantly over rewarding, which will have their rewards reduced. End quote. In the November 6th patch for Star Trek Online, we saw these changes get introduced to the game. Starting with, of course, the introduction of Delta Marks to the Mirror Universe Invasion PvE queue. lithium rewards were also increased for each of the difficulty levels for all PvE queues. So normal queues will reward. 360 Dilithium, Advanced Cues will reward 720 Dilithium, and Elite Cues will reward 1,440 Dilithium. Dilithium rewards are increased by 50% in Adventure Zones and Battle Zones, so if you earned, let's say, 10 Dilithium, you'll now earn 15. I think this was definitely needed. I recently watched a video with a team of really skilled players doing the Elite no-win scenario before the last update, and it took them about 30 minutes, and they got 480 Dilithium for that. And I thought to myself, that's not worth it. The mark rewards were good, but as far as Dilithium rewards, that was pretty low for the amount of time they put into it. And Right now Dilithium is the main priority for me, granted I know that other Elite queues will not take as long, but I think increasing the amount of Dilithium was a good decision. Now, if you really want Dilithium, spend some time in Adventure Zones and Battle Zones. I tested this out on New Romulus, and it was like bonus Dilithium weekend down there, except now it's going to be like that all the time. I got 720 Dilithium in about 10 minutes, and I just started, so there's much more to get.
1: That's not bad, especially with the upgrade sync that there is now. Um, There are more places to put Dilithium, and, and players... We're talking about this and afraid of this before Delta Rising and the and that when the upgrade system was first introduced, uh, we talked about it last week and how you know even we felt that the Delithium rewards were uh, a little underwhelming with the new uh, PVE difficulties and the the new requirements. So this is a very welcome change and I think the numbers are fair. Um, you know it's not advanced isn't the 960 or 920 that we were used to it's 720 so it's about 200 less than what the elites used to be which is fine but again I think these numbers, these numbers are fair and I think that uh, uh, even now uh, a PVEQ like Conduit is on advanced is it's, it's pretty easy you can get through it pretty quickly with a team you, of players yeah. that, that are familiar and team. are willing to communicate yeah not a pug
0: not a pocket. <laughs> not
1: a pug. Yeah, not a
3: pocket. Not a I, I've said it before, and I, I want to say it again. Delithium should be one of those rewards. It's always been labeled as the time currency that you get for spending time in the game. It should be a constant trickling into your character as long as you're doing something in the game. As long as you're logged in and not sitting still, you should be, you know, trickling in Delithium. So this seems like a change in the right direction. And I hope one day to have Delithium as mission rewards as well. Um, but. I guess they're just not there yet.
1: Uh, even with the introduction of the upgrade system, I don't think there's enough of a sink to introduce dilithium into missions yet.
3: Well, the, the reason I say that is so that you're earning some as you're leveling up. Because right now, when you start a new character, you're not earning dilithium till you get to level you know, 45 or 50. There's just no dilithium rewards anywhere. So it'd be nice for new players to have some, something
2: coming in. Doffing. Doffing.
3: Mm, it trickles in doffing, though. There's only a handful of missions that give more than 50 and the ones that give 50 are kind of you can do them once a day and there's maybe only a dozen of those most of them give five or less
2: i would argue that prior to this new crafting system there was really not a lot of honest use for dilithium for characters before they got to level 50 or at least 45 because there's no real sense in dumping dilithium into high-end gear you know tier three but now that you can actually be using dilithium uh, to craft things and improve quality over time, there actually is a real reason for a leveling up character to have access to Dolithium from the beginning, I think.
1: That's a good point, actually. That's a good point. We talked a little bit before about uh, pugs and, and PVEQs, and there seems to be changes coming to the uh, difficulty of those PVEQs. Dr. Robert, why don't you go ahead and uh, talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Well, fortunately, uh, Charles Gray did not stop at the rewards for PVEQs he also discussed a pass on the difficulty levels of critter groups in PvE and solo mission content. According to Gray, quote, PvE queues will be evaluated on a per-queue basis and potentially have their mission requirements, critter spawns, or other aspects updated to help tune their specific difficulties, end quote. Al Rivera, lead designer for Star Trek Online, also made a post regarding space critter difficulty. He writes, quote, We will be noticeably reducing the hit points and shields of all space critters from levels 51 to 60. This change will have more of an effect at level 60 than 51. The change will affect basic and advanced difficulty, but not affect elite difficulty." End quote. One particularly interesting observation Gray made in his post was, quote, Adding failure conditions to cues was meant to add a challenge to them, and so no advanced or elite cues should have a 100% success rate. At the same time, however, we don't expect any queue to have a success rate that is so low that players who are appropriately geared will never experience a successful run." End quote. Well, I have to admit, that's certainly been the case for me at least in pugs, since this went live, so hopefully this kind of rebalancing will bring back some life into the relatively empty advanced queues, and yet still leave some crazy level of insane challenge for those top tier players who wanted that in the elite queue.
1: You know, something that keeps kind of going through my head is something Chris Dodd said during our interview with him um, when we visited Cryptic, which was that when designing the PVE PVEQs, they had in mind people getting on TeamSpeak on some kind of voiceover IP and, and engaging with others to complete these tasks. I wonder if that was the initial intent, right? That was the plan. And then now they're looking at the metric and seeing pickup groups failing so much at at the advanced cues that they're going back and revisiting and saying, okay, maybe maybe we've established a a core casual gamer base that, you know, sure we wanted to kind of nudge them in a direction of more team oriented play with, with active collaboration on things like TeamSpeak Like a like what what is generally a, a traditional style MMO, right? Because in in, in big raids for other MMOs, you, you, you have to get on something like TeamSpeak. But Star Trek Online never set that precedent. It was never there before. And now suddenly, you're thrusted into trying to experience this content in that way, leaving casual gamers left in, feeling left behind. So I wonder if now these metrics and reviewing these percentages of, of failure rates versus success rates they're retuning it back to the casual gamer that doesn't have time to jump on TeamSpeak, you know, like you mentioned last week, Robert. Because um, again, you know, Dodds mentioned this last week, that that's what, kind of what he, if I understood the, from the interview correctly, that that was kind of the vision that they had for these queues these was people having to get on a voiceover IP and 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 collaborating and talking and planning ahead of time before going in in the sense of a traditional MMO.
2: Now I suppose if the in-game voice chat had worked a little more effectively than it does, and unfortunately, almost any time it pops up, it's sadly the few times players do tend to use it in game, it's just such a loud, difficult to comprehend mess that I disable it.
1: What what do you mean in-game voice chat? You didn't know? There's actually a feature in Star Trek Online that is for something like TeamSpeak, right? You can actually set your microphone up where people can, you can talk to somebody else through the game.
2: What? Yeah, in principle, it's supposed to be a simple configuration and it will just turn on. You can use it right when you jump into a queue with whoever happens to be in that queue. In practice, it's very futzy to make work and when it does work, even the the voice quality is often so poor, it's almost unintelligible. So it would have been an easy avenue for people who weren't teaming with someone they knew in a fleet or with a TeamSpeak uh, server set up to be able to at least interact with people in the queue. But in practice, I have really never seen it used effectively in, in a pickup group or any you know, non-organized. And, and any fleet will simply set up their own chat service so they don't use it either. So if that had worked more effectively, I think maybe there would have been more of a chance of having just random groups of casual players come together and be able to coordinate uh, a little more easily and maybe work towards some of those goals. But you know, in the absence of that, I just feel like yeah, that puts a lot of onus on the on the casual gamer,
0: and they have to know that it exists.
2: <laughs> and they have to know it exists. Maybe if the cues just become a little more completable, that at least will breathe a little life back into something that has been a sort of damaged part of gameplay. I think since uh, mm-hmm. Delta Rising launched.
0: Yeah, they can always change it back if people are like, "This is too easy now."
2: Well, you're never going to make everyone happy, right? There are some people who no, nothing's hard enough, and they will true. always complain there will be some people it will never be easy enough and they will always complain. So you just have to aim for that kind of large middle and give give people off in the wings things really tailored to them. So I think that's why this uh, three-tiered queue system they came up with in, in principle should work really, really well for this.
0: So with so many key changes to Delta Rising, this week's community question is, what do you think about the changes to content rewards, ship mastery, and content difficulty? Let us know in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the official post for this episode on the Star Trek Online forums.
1: Well, Captains, that's all we're reviewing this week in Star Trek Online News. We're going to get back into the game and explore more of the Delta Quadrant. In the meantime, let's get to our interview with Star Trek Online's lead writer, Christine Kestrel-Thompson, and content designer, Kate Bankson.
2: Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Cisco Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed.
1: All right, Captains, and right now we are joined by Christine Thompson and Kate Benson, two amazing storytellers in Star Trek Online. Thank you so very much for joining us this afternoon, uh, only a few days before the release of Delta Rising.
5: Almost done. Almost.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, why don't we first start with uh, just a brief introduction for new listeners or old listeners that uh, may have forgotten what it is that you are responsible for in Star Trek Online, because it's a big task that you guys have. Uh, Christine, why don't you go first, please?
5: Um, My name is Christine Thompson. Um, I am the lead writer, which means I am in charge of dialogue, plot lines, character creation, story
4: planning... (sighs) Voice directing, all that fun stuff. (laughs) And I'm Kate. Um, I am a staff content designer here at Cryptic. And um, that means I put the missions together. Um, I work very closely with uh, environment art to make the area to kind of figure out what the layout of, of a given mission or zone or, you know, a uh, featured episode is going to be. And I work with, you know, Christine and the leads. What is the story that we want to tell here? Uh, what's going on? Um, and, you know, take those ideas, develop them, build the stuff out put that stuff in the world and then, you know, curate it, make sure that it is awesome and bug free as much as we could possibly make and, and, you know awesome. Yeah.
1: So let me ask this, with Delta Rising in writing and preparing for it, what has been the biggest challenge?
5: Um well the delta quadrant is huge and voyager had 7 years of stories there and the first big challenge we had was deciding one what stories we wanted to tell and two how many you know how many aliens we could make in the time we had allowed yeah. so yeah there were there were some races that we just I'm, we are such huge fans of we decided alright if we cannot do x race really, really well. If we cannot focus on them, then we are going to save them Mm -hmm. for a later time. Um, So the big challenge was, you know, narrowing down that quadrant to what we can do in this expansion, and then deciding what's going to happen next. I mean, we're already in story planning for 2015, and what we've done in Delta Rising influences what what happens next year, so...
2: (laughs) One thing I wanted to ask you guys about is I had uh, had a conversation with Al quite some time ago on the show about Star Trek Online being sort of the last true stewards of the Prime Universe canon. So. It's kind of a big task, right? And what What is your approach to that?
5: Um, you have to break it down into chunks. If you look at it all at once, you get really overwhelmed. And that's the very first thing I worked on for this project was the path to twenty four nine. And I found that when you looked at thirty years all at once, you got really overwhelmed and went went into the you know went to the car to cry or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just looked at it and all right, well, what's happening with the Romulans? What's happening with the Cardassians? What's happening with this? So, you know, being the stewards of Prime can and which I guess we are to some extent because there aren't any, there aren't many stories being told in the prime canon. I mean, there's the novels that run on a different timeline than we do, and um, but you can't be intimidated by it. If you get intimidated by it, you get overwhelmed and then you can't do anything. So,
1: <laughs> now where do you for let's say for instance Delta Rising? What was the first piece of? Canon that you looked at Aside from Voyager Aside from Voyager itself Did you look at novels, comics, audiobooks, books What
5: I tend to look at all of those things But because they are soft canon We will take what fits with us And leave other things behind um, With the novels With all of those things I don't get advanced knowledge On what's going on with them I buy them at Amazon Or your favorite bookseller Just like everybody else does So there's a point where you know, like we'd already before launch, we'd already planned a whole bunch of Borg stuff, and then I read the Destiny trilogy. So <laughs> that's when we realized, okay, we can't, we're we're diverging at this point. We can't we can't follow along with that. But yeah, I always, I mean, I went back and reread probably. 10 to 15 Voyager novels. I looked at some of the comics, but our main influence is always going to be the shows and the movies.
4: Yeah, when I came on the project uh, two years ago now, um, you know, I wandered up to Christine. I was like, okay, what do I need to watch and re-watch to kind of get the feel of the, ga- of the game, where we're going, where we've been, like, you know, and stuff. And so she's like, okay. And she gave me this list of basically, you know, watch these Trek episodes. This is kind of where thematically we're going. Watch, you know, all of this. You know, TOS is always a good thing to watch. You know, a lot of TNG is good. Um, and uh, currently for the where the story was at the time, she said, you know, watch these episodes of DS9. And so I ended up um, watching, you know, basically seasons three through the end of DS9. And, and people knew when I got to those last 10 episodes because I was doing the whole Kermit flail in my desk. And oh my God, I have all these feels, these conflicted feels. And um, yeah, and it was it was great. So it, it always, for me, when I'm doing episodes, it's like, I loved Voyager. Voyager was my trek. It was like the series that I watched start to finish when it was on the air. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And it was always like, okay, I was a fan of Voyager. What do I want to see out? Out of this kind of stuff like you know what what feels true to voyager what feels true to trek what you know would make me feel like i am part of this universe
1: one thing that's different from a show or writing for a show is that the community interaction is instantaneous Maybe not. Maybe maybe now more. You you will see that you know shows now have have a much stronger social media presence. But here, it's 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 a game. It's living. It's daily. Uh, it's not week to week. How do you look at community feedback? How do you write the story for community? Um, then take its feedback and. Talk talk to us about that, that that back and forth, that chemistry.
5: Well, I mean we're always looking at what the fans are saying. We are you know, we're on Twitter Twitter, we're on Reddit, we're in the forums, sometimes I, I play anonymously a lot, and just listen to the chat channels and such like that, or team up with people. There we take a lot of feedback. We know what the players want to see. We try to give them as much of that as we can. But then you have to balance it with the demands of making a game. Yeah. You know, you know, we're not we don't have a holodeck not yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't have access to everything not yet. So and then you see also where where we've already decided like i said we're already story planning for 2015 we have an idea of where the story's going and what what's going to happen so there may be a really strong push for hey let's do x but x totally conflicts with what we're planning so that's when we go back and say all right do we change the plan Mm -hmm. um then I find some things on the forums. I, I there is a kind of a joke thread going around that I'm like, huh
4: <laughs>
5: and it kinda of spun off an idea that you might see next year. So
4: <laughs> and, and, you know, we definitely like so um for you know, hopefully this is no longer in spoiler town. But you know, the reveal of Egg, um, and everyone was absolutely convinced that you know Quinn was an Undine. And so, since everybody was convinced that Quinn was an Undine, we decided to kind of like play on that a little bit. So, when you're on you know wrecked old ESD, and you come across Quinn and it's a fake one, it turns into an Undine. That's a little bit nod to you know what what players were thinking we were doing with the story, and then we pulled you know or tried to pull the fast one on them with having egg be you know an undine plant and stuff yeah definitely got me with that one <laughs> yes this,
5: one. this little guy who's been standing around on earth space dock for like four years just telling people where to go
4: yep. <laughs> oh, it was fantastic
1: talk to us about your relationships with each other so you write the stories and you bring them to life right talk to us about that relationship how does how does it flow how does it work um, what's the day in the life sort of
4: well all of game development is a team project mm-hmm. so. it's very collaborative um, it's it's uh, Christine works a lot with Charles and Al to kind of figure out okay what is what is the overarching thing what needs to happen here here are the big story points here you have to get from point a and go to point B um, and uh, if they have specific points in the middle they obviously communicate those to us but um, a lot of the time especially when we're doing things like featured episodes um, a lot of free reign is actually given to the designer how what is the journey going to be between points a and B and yeah, uh,
5: the designers know a lot more about
4: how to make gameplay fun than I do so <laughs> yeah so it's, it's it we try and you know satisfy all those masters you know we need to have a thing that does X and it needs to be fun and we want it to do this and that and you know we have this new technology coming and we want that to be shown up or you know we have some free time do you have a cool thing that you want to do Um, That rarely happens, but gosh, we love it when it does. And you end up with really cool things like, you know, the the jet packs and step between stars and some of the really cool repelling tech that we're coming out with uh, in the new stuff. Delta zip lines, yes. Delta zip lines.
2: (laughs) So much excitement when that blog came out.
4: So, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a back and forth, um, especially when I'm building a pre-pitch. We go through a a, uh, pre-pitch process, you know, uh, talk to all the people involved. um, What can we do? What can't we do? I talk a lot with Christine, like, you know, ping her, like, hey, if I introduce a character that's like X, is that cool? Do we have somebody that fills that spot already? Um, You know, where is this planet going to be, Christine? You know, like, what? is this race called? What, you know, episode should I be going to look for to learn more about the Kobali, you know, for example? And, uh, you know, then we come over, okay, this is what we think things are going to look like. My artist and I are very happy with how the progression is going to go. Um, You know, I I definitely want to have, like, you know, encounters here, here, and here, and, you know, the dialogue text of, you know, our guest star is going to be kind of in this vein. Is this trek enough, Christine? Um, I I actually had a moment in uh, one of The things that I was doing in in, in Revolution, where I was like, um, "So I want to do this. Is is this going to cause Al to have a trek aneurysm?" And (laughs) and and she said, "Yeah." (laughs) So (laughs) I I changed what I was going to do. You almost caused me to have a trek aneurysm.
1: I know. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us? Can you tell us what what was the what was it?
4: So there is a moment where you have to choose. uh, You are undercover, and you have to choose if you are going to um, fire on a disabled. Uh, allied ship um, you are in an enemy ship because you're going to go undercover and uh, you have uh, I guess seven of nine is with you and um, your your uh, erstwhile you know allies with you and he's telling you kill them now this is a secret mission nobody can know what happened here and seven's like no that's you can't do that that's not cool there's all these other options and you have to pick are you going to shoot on them or not And uh, the dialogue I had in there was basically, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, kind of, and going with that. And that was your justification for blowing up this disabled ship. And, And Christine was like, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Wow. So yeah, I just watched In the Pale Moonlight again. Yeah. So I was a little bit of a kind of more you know dark and gritty, and so she's like, no, let's let's not do that. That's a little bit too, a little bit too not Trek. And I was like, okay, fine. So. And also because a lot of what we do now is cross faction.
5: I do a lot of well, you know if. A Starfleet officer would look at it like this, but a Romulan would look at it like this, and a Klingon would look at it like this. And how are we gonna accommodate all of these things? So for dragons to see? I noticed there was some flirting in that. And I
0: I I tried to get I tried to take that avenue. I tried so hard, I I kept going to different ways. I tried every possibility. And I couldn't get past, and then I had to just be rude the, to the people. The, the
5: the yeah, it was intended you you could not get past it by flirting, but the flirting was a fun option yes, that we could sneak fun. in there. It yeah, it was so
0: different from what I usually see. I was like, whoa, I'm gonna
4: <laughs> choose this one. Yeah, Jadawa did that one, and I like I burst out laughing and like leaned over to his cube. I was like, oh my gosh, dude, this is great.
5: There, there's a point in the 2800 too where um, you're in quarks and somebody hits on you and it, there is, it, it does not matter if you are a male or female character I know there has been speculation the same, cha- the same person will hit on you every time and yeah. I think that's fine <laughs> <So>.
4: <laughs> and um, yeah, actually that moment gets called back in a Revolution mm-hmm. um, that little flirtatiousness it's, it's so there's it, a it, reference to it yeah, yeah. It's a reference. <laughs> we had a lot of fun doing <laughs> that kind of stuff
1: and now, at the time of this recording, we do not have access to it, but, Captains, you will have already been able to experience a, a good chunk of all of this, if not on Tribble, then, of course, by playing it on Holodeck as of October 14th. But let's talk a little bit about what's what has hit Tribble and uh, the the genesis of these of these missions
4: so this mission is revolution um it is part of our kind of you know uh, signposts of the of the story of the delta quadrant um it, it gives you a, ju- a nice meaty chunk um and this has you know a pivotal moment in the story arc um but what we decided to do here was to revisit a map that you see in um dragon's Seed, i think it is and um so it you know approaching this, I thought, okay, well, we have this really awesome map. What do we want to do here? And we kind of knew that there were some large beats we needed to hit. We knew... Basically, where it needed to end. And um, so, my, my first pitch was that you do this, you know, really super sneaky espionage thing, and it would be, you know, very long and involved. You have to, like, you know, sneak up behind the guards and, like, you know, knock them out and do all this and do that. And it was just too long. And so, we stripped down to what is the core experience of this. And what I thought was okay, you're sneaking into the enemy base. Um, I want you to go to a location that you could see in the other episode, but you couldn't actually kind of get down to, and so that's kind of cool so that, you know, even though we're revisiting the same map, you're getting a different experience and um, so that's part of it, and uh, you get to go, you know, put on a holographic costume Um, Seven gets her own holographic costume which is kind of cool, and uh, you go with some of your bridge officers, that was a decision made because, you know Kirk is always going down you know, with Scotty and, and, well, not Scotty uh, Spock and, you know, Bones and everybody, you know, Picard's always going down with, you know, Worf at his side and stuff and, um why are you going down alone with just seven of nine? You should bring your dudes. So you and your posse go down, um, you know, and 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 just in case there's you know any kind of fisticuffs, uh, you guys can back each other up. So um, you and your party uh, beam down and sneak into this Vodou area and uh, do a bunch of kind of you know James Bondy sort of you know stuff to get the information out there. Um, your purpose is to broadcast um, this great revelation to the rest of the quadrant to kind of like, you know, blow the cap off the secret and like let show everybody, hey, you know, stuff is going down and, and, you know, try and convince people that, you know, these are the bad guys and you should come party up with us. So I, I love Gall's voice more Gal, than Gal is,
5: a, is an actor new to us. Um, he's Liam O'Brien, but I know he's been in Naruto and yeah, he's just Shadows Fantastic. of Mordor and
4: all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you guys will have to like just actually listen to the voice. Um, oh gosh, uh, and and Jerry Ryan did stuff for this, and it's just so cool to like you know hear stuff that she was. Uh, all
5: of the Voyager actors were phenomenal. Oh, I was God. so happy with those sessions.
1: Speaking of having worked with the actors, let's talk about that experience a little bit. I mean, what what, what was that like? They were
5: every single one of them was amazing. We were so happy with these sessions. Um, first, we were thrilled that they all agreed to work for. Us. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> and that took a lot of negotiations, and Al and company did an amazing job with that. But um, we did four of them remote. Um Ethan Phillips was in New York, everyone else was in LA. Garrett came out here to the office and like spent a day, day and a half with us and did the running man and oh, did the running yeah. man dance yeah. and went out to dinner with people and That was, was so much fun. Yeah, he is so nice and so much fun. But all of the Voyager actors, they were all engaged. They knew that they know Trek. They know their characters. Oh they my were gosh. excited to be doing it. I cannot wait till you guys get to hear, especially Jerry Ryan and and Ethan Phillips in the game they are all so good and Garrett Wang is he's actually a really good voice actor? He's really awesome. Yeah, he should have like Mark Hamill's career.
4: Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. He was totally awesome. So, so we were all listening outside the door um, when Jerry was doing her recording session, mm-hmm. and so she reads this line of seven, and then she goes, she breaks in, you know, breaks character. Shouldn't this be a start date? And we're all like, ah, uh-huh. oh, throw our arms up in the air, like, oh my god, everything is awesome. She knows what she's in, you know. Yep. In and then I had and, to explain
5: why we weren't actually using yeah. a start date in that specific interest, but.
4: <laughs> but all <laughs> All of us were like oh god everything is going to be awesome you know it's in good hands we are so excited to work with her or she seems you know so happy to work with us and it just it was a really 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 great experience. And just one
1: follow up question about that is is when writing the story how much of the story is written or how how much on your toes do you need to be when when an actor is announced okay we can get them and it's two weeks two we, three weeks before. We
5: constantly have a plan A, B and C and sometimes a D mm-hmm. um Seven was not the first character to be in this episode. I will say it
4: started. I think with with Tuvok, Tuvok. and then it became Harry Kim, um, and then it became Seven. Yes, and it's it, so we do. Uh, you know primary implementation and then we kind of switch things around so that a different designer is kind of working on things just uh it, it's good practice and it, it you know gets more of the collaboration yeah. in there and new ideas come into a thing and you get to work on something new too and bring your ideas too and so by the time it got back to me what had started as as Tuvok was now seven of nine so so that was kind of yeah. kind of and, but <laughs> also
5: you know sometimes we make an episode that is actually fairly personal for a character and we really like to do that like sphere of influence was a fairly personal Worf story, oh, yeah. that would have been really difficult to put another actor in there. Um, the yeah. anniversary episode that we're just now starting to work on is a very personal story for who is going to be our star in it. I'm excited um, for that one. That, that one's going to be cool. We're not going to tell you any more about that yeah. one, but we're really excited about it. <laughs> Yeah, so we, we try to do a mix of it. Like I'm I'm putting together my wish list for, you know, it well if we get this person then I can do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. If we get this
4: person I can do A, B and C. You know, if we get both of these people I can do There were Um, so many great kind of threads that were left in all the various series that it's like, ooh, I'd love to go do that. And 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 part of it is just you know scheduling and availability and you know like who do we have time for, who do we have you know budgetary reasons for, and all that stuff.
1: Actually, you you mentioned a little bit about uh, featured episodes. After Delta Rising, I know that Al Rivera was quoted and saying that that's that's the direction that they want to go, which is a direction that I remember Dan Stahl had wanted to do, you know, way back when. What's what kind of featured episodes are we looking at? Are we are, are it, it, because every every episode, every mission seems to top the next one, so <laughs> it, it's just it's amazing. It, it, you know, oh. they're fantastic storytellers. So you know what after after Delta Rising, what. Can we see what, what what in general what how often would these missions you know, might well, we see them? Or I whatnot? I
5: would like to keep my job so I can keep <laughs> making these missions so we cannot really say a lot. Okay. I yeah. can say that some of the threads for these missions already appear in the game.
4: Okay. We, we like doing stuff that, you know, tells a coherent story across the ages, if you will. So, you know, it, it isn't just like a, a. Sometimes it's fun to do, you know, kind of a standalone. But, yeah, um, I, I love doing standalones. Those are fun. It's, it's a nice break. But we, we like doing things that are, you know, telling a continuous story so that, you know, there's many reasons to play other than just the fat loot. It's like, ooh, this is what happens next.
1: And we talked a little bit about this at Vegas uh, when we were doing the QA after. We were talking about the stories that you both have written mm-hmm. for men magazines like uh, the the official Star Trek magazine, Uh, and how awesome it would be to see a mission like the escort mission for the new Aquarius Mm -hmm. be just a a one-off mission in the game Mm -hmm. in between these expansions and in between these future episodes. Yeah, a little like
4: hearts and minds Mm -hmm. sort of thing. It'd be fun to do. Yoshi's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, you know, (laughs) and and then, you know, die hard. That would be pretty fun. Mm -hmm. A lot of times that comes down to
5: scheduling. Yes. We have so many designers and so many artists and many man hours to make things right.
1: And so yeah, so mm-hmm. so several weeks have passed and people have been able to play Delta Rising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we get a bit of a summary of what the the plot is? What it what players have played and expect uh, to experience, and then um, whatever else you'd like to share.
5: Well, the Delta Quadrant is a different place than it was 32 years ago when Voyager was here, um, but the things they have done. Changed the quadrant. This one little ship going through the quadrant changed so much. Ripples in the pond. Yes. Right, right. So you're getting to see the, as those ripples spread, mm-hmm. you know, Delta Rising is telling that story of, you know, what, what happened? happened. And it's going to keep telling it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that is one of the differences between like writing a novel or writing a TV show or anything and making a video game because one of our big things is make it visual make it fun make it stuff that you want to
4: do Mm -hmm. you know um this is, this is similar to, to a lot of the writing stuff, though, because, you know, you're effectively scripting the experience and, you know, you, you need to have your points of high tension and then your points of kind of ah, relax, okay, we survived the, you know, onslaught of bugs and then suddenly the bugs pop up out of the ground, oh god! Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, really go into, what we wanted to do here was more sort of visit some of the horror tropes, visit some of the, you know, what does it feel like when you're going ever deeper into this bug hive? Um, you know, what are the bits about bugs how can we tell this story without the use of tons of cutscenes and words because the the action is is the primary goal of this yeah
5: and also um for fans every truck fan has a different idea of what star trek is because star trek is such a broad expansive thing that has almost 50 years of history and Mm -hmm. so much to it that Everybody's got their thing. You know, Kate said Voyager was her Trek. That was the one she watched from beginning to finish. Mine was TNG. Um, but you put, like, ten Trek fans in a room, and you're going to get ten different ideas of what Trek is. Somebody you're probably get eleven. A- Probably 11. Um, <laughs> you know, somebody who was a big TOS fan, you know, Wagon Train to the Stars, which is what that show was pitched as, yeah. is going to have a very different idea than like somebody who really loved like fifth season TNG. Or somebody or, who was
4: like down with DS9. Right. And, you know.
5: So, you know, we try to accommodate a little bit of everybody mm-hmm. and still be fun.
4: <laughs> so,
1: in the actual, let, let's take for instance something like Bug Hunt. Sure. Um, where does it begin? What? Where does the the creation of a mission like this start?
4: Oh, boy. Um, well, the the high concept is kind of there. Um, we have this awesome critter group. We want to do something cool with them. Um, is, and who is makes often the critter? One-
1: who, who will make the critter
4: group? Uh, systems will make those guys. And, 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 you know, we'll try and work with them, figure out what we need. Um, in this case, these guys had been uh, pretty much built. And then it became, you know, play and refine, play and refine, play and refine.
1: Now, who dreamt? Of the critter group this particular who dreamt of well, these bugs
4: when we start with when we sit
5: when the uh, al and steven ricosa and steven d'angelo and charles and the leads sit down to try to define what an expansion or a piece of content is going to be you know we pitch all sorts of different ideas about you know and then and then okay well we want to do this well sometimes just building you know a whole critter group for one mission Isn't really cost effective. Like, for example, when we decided to do the Voyager interior, one of the first things I did was pitch five different things we can do with a Voyager Mm -hmm. interior. Um, But for this, we're like, all right, well, if we're going to make this awesome critter group, what else can we do with them? And somebody, you know, well, let's do a queue. Let's, ha-, you know, let's hunt them down, you know. And then things kind of went from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so
4: we wanted them for for. And then art see- gets
5: involved. Art, art yeah. did a oh lot of gosh. concept work on this because we didn't have a lot of reference from the show. They did bunches of concepts to try to figure out their entire life cycle and.
1: Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask is, so what does it look like when it comes to your table, Kate? Okay? What when it comes to to your desk? Where do you start? What, what screen do you load up, and what, what do you first begin to outline? What's your first step? I
4: open up Word. Okay. um or you know your, your favorite editing software you know word process editing software um pretty much i start writing down stuff with um all right what what needs to happen in this mission what are the big beats um you know i start breaking down the story effectively um who's going to be in the uh, in the mission who's playing it what are the big beats what needs to happen where does it start where does it end okay cool um you know ground space ground what what where are we going with this mission? What are we doing? What are my assets? And and basically, like, outlining kind of what it is. And then once I have kind of an idea of what I want to do, I might go through and do some, you know, really crappy designer art, you know, in Photoshop or something. Like, it's kind of like this. And then I go over to my artist's cube and I say, hey, I kind of want to do something like this. So for this one, um, I went over to Keenan's desk, and Keenan was my artist and, and created all of this amazingness. And I said, well, you know, I want to go jump down a bug hole. I want to go down into the hive. I want it it to be a a very linear assault and, um, you know, have a very, very descending kind of feeling. And he's like, that's awesome. Let's go with that. Let's let's have you, you know, just continually burrow into the earth and kind of, you know, have it become increasingly, um, you know, claustrophobic and you know he's like I have this great idea how to do all this canyon thing and lots of overhanging rocks and I was like yeah so we really got into it and did a lot of iteration and kind of figured out how is the hive going to be and we had this like wedge shaped idea initially and then we we ended up you know refining the idea as we were going through and building things and and doing stuff and
5: at one point we're all passing around pictures of different kinds of canyons yeah
4: yeah (laughs) lots of of different pictures and um, you know he basically created a kind of a mood board sort of thing for all the art like here's kind of the color palette i'm going for here's all the different aspects you know here's you know these pictures from you know uh ender's game here's these pictures of an actual wasp hive here's you know the pictures of um this box canyon here's some pictures of you know a desert you know sunset out in like you know namibia and all these things together and kind of okay this is what the look is and um so my part, what I try to do is, okay, you know, how can I tell this story, you know, without words? And it was very much, it is it is the visual language of you're just going deeper and deeper into this hive. And, um, you know, trying to put in the good pacing of, you know, moments of tension and, and you know, moments of, of you know, ah, and kind of have that and kind of ramp it up and down so it isn't just, and, and get it on a sort of rising cycle. So by the time, you know, you get to the end and you're fighting the spawn mother, it's like, yeah! And you feel super epic when you find finally Accomplish that goal. So that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, for this one that had less, uh, you know, words and story and dialogue uh, in the more traditional sense.
5: Yeah, I mean, Q's events are a different kind of gameplay. There's people who love tons of story and dialogue, and there are episodes like Of Bejor is very much an episode made for people that dig story. I, mean, I sat and wrote 10 little books that people can read, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, then there's sometimes you just want to jump in game and shoot something, and yeah. you know the cues are really good for that,
4: so um, i think I think uh service tension's probably a decent mix of the two yeah. because you have giant epic space battles and you have like you know little moments of you know what the heck 's going on, so I got to you know write my my awesome you know screenplay where everybody's comes to the you know together in the general and Dyson sphere, and I got to have my little moment and I was so happy I got to keep it I got to keep the Frankie and i was I was pretty sure that they were going to ha- make me cut that. But, um, you yeah, know, I got to have my diplomacy game kind of stuff going on. You know, do, you know, what does it mean to be a diplomat, you know, at if you're a Federation person? And, and what does it mean that to be here as a Klingon? And what does it mean to be here as a Romulan? And kind of really dig into bits that make you feel like you are part of that faction, um, even though you're all playing the same mission. And then, you know, at the very end, um, which hopefully everybody has played, because giant spoilers, you know, the Iconian shows up. And so that was super duper cool to get you know, that in there and get like, you know, the final resolution. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
1: Now, is the tool that you use to actually create the game, is it much like the Foundry?
4: It is a variation on the Foundry. It's a variation. Um, we have our own sort of uh, proprietary editors. Um, it might pop up in a moment. Yay! So we have a variety of game design editors. I will actually open up, just so you can see. Um, this is the game design editors, and I'm going to open up... Uh, let me open up Revolution, because that is probably has a non-spoilery title name, and some of these missions do have very Very, very spoilery title names. Um, And it'll propagate in a bit. But, um, you know, it's kind of this uh, proprietary system. um, You know, usually we do a lot of our um, sort of designing on paper first, because once you get into the editor, um, it's a little bit easier to figure out where you're going and what you're going to do. Well, again...
1: Okay, Christine. Thank you so much for sitting down with us and talking to us about the creation of a mission, the story behind it, uh, and uh, and how you take it from paper to the game. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Yeah. No thank bye you bye. for playing. Thanks.
4: <laughs> Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other.
1: All right, admirals. We're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies to see what's incoming from you. Our listeners, and last week's community question for episode 196 was asking about your opinions about Delta Rising. Our first piece of feedback comes from Dan Koheiser, and he writes via the Priority One podcast website, Delta Rising overall is fine. My only issue is with the difficulty level they have set it at. I can't seem to get the patrol missions done within a two-hour run. The amount of time it takes to kill those ships in my Tier Six ship using all purple Mark Twelve gear is way too long, and not at all what I was promised. I'm a family man, so my gaming time is limited and precious. I need those missions not to take two hours to complete. If it does, then only one tune is getting attention at this time. One of the biggest drives for me in Star Trek Online was the friendliness it had with alts, and has been seriously hampered.
0: See, is he running it on Elite? Because on Normal... It does not take that long at all for me. But I understand if you want more skill points, which Elite helps with, but it would be interesting to see the comparison between running several sets of patrols on normal for the same amount of time that it would take to run one set of patrols on Elite and compare the skill points to see the differences.
1: Oh, I know for a fact that it just takes a heck of a lot longer to run a mission, even on advanced uh, the other night, I ran a patrol mission with uh, somebody in uh, the Priority One chat, and we did one patrol mission together in advanced, and it took a long time. But is it worth not only the that, time? but we died a few times. No, I, it was no. not worth the time. It really wasn't. It took way too long to run a patrol mission in advanced because the hit points were so high. Um, so it took longer. I mean, my Tier Six Escort isn't the most fragile ship but it, I did die tw- about two or three times um, and I wasn't cutting through them with enough with enough speed to merit that there, there was just the, the return on investment just wasn't there so I unless and until they bring back and tone down the difficulty the the hit points for the critters, uh, I've been running everything on normal,
3: and it does take longer on normal too, comparatively. I'm I'm using I'm using not it an optimal longer on build normal, of, yeah on normal. It's uh, I'm if you compare if you ran on normal a Delta patrol mission versus a Tau Adewa patrol mission, they are taking quite a lot longer. Um, but I'm using a ship that doesn't have an optimal build because I'm just trying to burn through to get the starship Treat and be done with it. And so I threw on gear. It is Mark fourteen gear. Uh, but it's still taking me, you know, twenty to f- sometimes thirty-five minutes for each patrol that I run. It's it's insane. We hear from Gray Fox James via the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. I've always played the game on Elite, but ever since Delta Rising, I've had to bring it down. Not because I couldn't complete the episode on Elite, because I can. In fact, the NPC ships don't even break my shields. The problem I found was that one Vodwar ship had about 1.2 to 1.9 million hull points. Sorry, increasing hull points isn't really increasing difficulty. It's just increasing annoyance more. It was just taking me way too long to complete the missions. The elite queues are now the same thing. Tactical DPS captains are now king. Everything else is nearly useless. Yeah, the I, I believe the one vaude worship he's talking about is the... Um, Oh, wow, I just had it on the tip of my tongue and I can't remember. It's it's the, the big one that warps in, and some of the patrol missions will give you two or three of those in a row. Uh, it's really frustrating. Not only that, but those Vodwar ships are like carriers. They can spawn um, smaller ships every so often, every one to two minutes, so you end up uh, uh, outnumbered pretty quickly. Uh, but yeah, th- this relates a lot to the feedback we got. I don't remember which user it was, but somebody gave us feedback last episode that said it would be a better idea rather than increasing hit points to rather make the AI smarter and have them using different abilities, and I tend to agree with that because it just becomes a a, a DPS grind fest is all it is at this point.
0: Yeah, the group of people that I was watching, that YouTube video that I was referring to earlier, Mm -hmm. most of the time they were just sitting there shooting. There was no skill required once they got into position they just sat there and shot and shot and shot for five minutes and nothing there was no challenge it was just shooting so I mean if that's the way that these are going I can see why they decided to change the difficulty in the PVEQs but is it going to be the same nothing's going to be changed in the um, missions right the missions are still going to be the same
1: no they're actually working on Improving the difficulty and the hit points on the critters in the missions as well.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, well that, that's
1: good. According to the dev tracker and what the devs have said, I believe it was, it wasn't Charles Gray, it was our error that mentioned it. Oh, that's good.
0: Josen369 commented on the Star Trek online forum post for this episode. Delta Rising had such great potential, but it feels like we were given a half-finished product. All the bells and whistles are there, but all the content seems to be rather lackluster and leaves most of us bored with it real fast and real quick.
1: I don't think that we were given a half-finished product. I think that, you know, one conversation that we had with uh, Phil Farkley, uh, Farktoid, the head of QA, was that there are known shippables. There is a deadline that they have to meet, and and not meeting that deadline would be very costly. And so there are certain things, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they would have wished to have had a little bit more time working on. Um, But ultimately, I think Delta Rising... I don't think Delta Rising is anywhere near the, the, the catastrophe that the forums painted it to be. On the contrary, I think it's actually some great content that has inspired me to play the expansion, more so than Legacy of Romulus. I haven't gone through a majority of Legacy of Romulus content, and I have a freaking weekly podcast about Star Trek Online, so there's that.
3: Well, also via our website, we hear from Sean Newpoy. I enjoy the new content and systems. I just wish there were more missions. Darn Dr. Hurt and his logic over new characters and level gate. I agree that the new advanced Q events are too much work for the loot. I'm with Dr. Hurt on the pugging. I feel too constrained for time to wait for a good group, and the Advance does not really work for pugging anymore. Hear, here.
1: Gavin Rudblay commented on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode and offered a nice pro and con opinion of Delta Rising. For instance, he loves the artwork and writes, quote, The art is phenomenal. Absolutely the best work since the Earth Space Talk revamp. Several forumites have been so vocal in praise of the art. I think it's a good thing we're not in a Dungeons & Dragons game where Taco Fangs might have ascended to godhood by now. End quote. His primary con is the gap between casual players and the DPS juggernauts. He writes the low damage people, both new players and people who prefer to support teammates rather than go all out on damage, are severely punished. Reduced rewards, XP, ability to complete missions, participating Q events, and etc. End quote. He also offered a word of advice regarding crafting materials and special reputation item rewards. For instance, he reminded us that items like Borg neural processors and Voth implants are rare drops from the daily hourly boxes in the reputation system. He points out that the drop rates are terrible, which is absolutely true because I don't think I've ever received an item like that from the daily reputation uh, project boxes. So thank you, Gavin Runeblade, and for commenting on last week's episode. We hope to hear from you more often. Lance and
0: Dragon commented on PriorityOnePodcast.com. My review of Delta Rising so far has been pretty positive. The Vaudoir Act is probably just the first act of a plot that will take them six months or more to release. On the subject of the STF rewards, the normalization of the rewards is a long time coming. The old Borgili were giving out too much compared to the other cues. Now you're encouraged to learn and try out the other events and cues. Old ISE would give 980 Dilithium plus another 1340 worth of marks for five minutes of work, which was totally out of line. Cryptic knew this, and Delta Rising was a good time to fix this.
3: Buckland Fondue emailed us at incoming at priority1podcast.com. Great job on the show, guys and gals. Very fun, yet professional, as always. Just wanted to say I'm glad they brought the Mirror event back. I was unable to finish it last time, and now it's letting me continue it where I left off, so I can get my special duty officer from it as well as the shotgun with a nice head
1: start. Zephram, Cochran, shotgun. Mm
0: -hmm. I've changed my mind about the mirror event. Last time they had it, I hated it. I couldn't kill the enemy ships before the next round came out of the rifts and I was getting nothing done and I hate feeling useless. More so on my alternate tune that doesn't have a good build yet, or maybe it never will, I don't know. So I was dependent on other people to take aggro for me so I could close rifts, which was not always easy to arrange. So naturally this time I went into it thinking it was going to be the same way, but it wasn't. I can actually kill a group of ships and close the rifts all by myself now.
1: Excuse me, excuse me. Before you take full credit for this, I'm the one that told you to do this.
0: It wasn't just you, okay? Lance and Dragon yeah, no, was like, "It's not that. Okay. It's not. It's really not that hard." And someone else said, "You know, you can do it." It wasn't Whatever. just you. Whatever. But it, what you were the last person that told me before I was like, "Okay, screw it. I'm just gonna see if I can kill these ships." Because <laughs> before I was trying to close the rifts quickly before the ships could get me, and I wasn't focusing on the ships. I was focusing on the rifts, but.
3: Wait, so all you did was change your tactics so that you actually shoot the ships before you close the rifts?
0: No, I mean, I, the first time I was trying to avoid ships, the very first time I did it, and it didn't work like it never did before.
3: And the problem with that is that the, if you avoid the ships, they will eventually leave their, their um, rifts and go towards the base. But right. then you end up, the base ends up taking tons of aggro and you end up losing points.
0: That used to be the only way I could close rifts. Used to be. Because I oh. tried it. I tried trying, I tried shooting the ships, it wouldn't didn't work out for me. I, di- I didn't have enough power. And so I would try to make them leave, and then close the rift. And then go maybe chase them. I'd
3: like to request to our listener base, please <laughs> don't leave the ships to go attack the base. <laughs> they do pile up. It's a really yes. big pain.
0: Yes, and it was just it never went well for me. It never went well, and it was very stressful. Anyway, so um, now I'm able to do everything I'm supposed to do without any assistance. And I did make the decision that I was only going to do the mirror event on my main tune, Since I haven't really touched my alts in a while and I don't want to deal with the stress of not being able to close the riffs and having to do that all over again. So, um, I don't know why, but it really stresses me out not being able to close those riffs. Like, it's not normal. I don't think... It's like, it's so stressful to me. The mirror event is so stressful. Um, in in any case... In any case, it's not worth the fifty thousand lithium for me to do it on another tune that's not prepared to do it. So I'm only doing it on the one tune, and I'm enjoying it now, stress-free, I can handle it.
1: Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divert the discussion here for a moment, and you know what I'm hearing a lot of? I can't do a lot of this on my other tunes.
3: Yeah, no, I was just going to say that exact same thing.
1: I'm wondering, and this is not just Mirror Event, this is a lot of Delta Rising content that a lot of the features introduced with Delta Rising, including the upgrade system, does not leave very much room for alternate players. No, certainly not. Or people with alternate characters need to have really deep pockets, from what I'm hearing time and again.
3: Well, even deep pockets won't help you. Think about if you want your ships to be working at peak efficiency, you want to level them up so that you get your starship mastery, you can't, buy your way out of that you just have to grind forever to do so
1: right and you can't you can't buy your way out of the specialization trees and you can't buy your way out of yeah the mastery traits i mean it's 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 a lot a lot of this content doesn't really give much incentive for alternate tunes and there are players that i know that have several tunes i mean i think one person gave me an extravagant number like 30 um, i i mean i i don't play that way i don't i don't i don't have more than one tune um, well I do I have two tunes and ideally you want three you want one for each faction R- one for each faction That's
0: what my goal was ma-
1: one for each faction and one for each career so nine so nine total right you could you could in theory to to play everything to play all the content the way it's designed to be played you would need to have nine tunes but the more I'm seeing is that this content does not cater to those with many tunes. To which I, my knee jerk reaction is, we'll just play with one tune and that's it. Get over but my it. My other tune is but, a
0: vacation. Right. I really right, wanted exactly. to develop that one because that one was a
1: cat. But you would also think that in the development process, they would try to monetize features that would entice players with multiple tunes to open their wallets, right? and I'm not seeing that. I think that's I think that is at its core a lot of the problems that players are facing with Delta Rising content. Not that not that they can't get through it with one tune. Sure, they can get through it with one tune, but they want to be able to get through it with all their tunes. And the content that is currently on Holodeck right now doesn't really allow for that, or you have to spend a lot of money for that.
0: They have done the sponsorship tokens. I mean, that's one thing that they did. That makes it a lot easier.
3: Yeah, you, you just touched on something exactly what I was going to say. They took st- uh, strides in the right direction with sponsorship tokens for the rep system, but now there's nothing like that for Starship Mastery or upgrading uh, your or gear. Or the actual level up process.
1: Specialization trees.
3: Well, which is part of the level up process. So once you get to 60, you continually you know quote, level up. I mean, one way to do this would be once you get your first tune to level sixty, they get a account-wide unlock of a buff that gives you, you know, a faster intake of skill points. I mean, you know, that, that's still that's still a lot of work.
1: Even if you cut that in half, it's still a lot of work. And in terms of the mastery skill too, I mean, the mastery skills across, you know, the it's the same for all escorts. It's the same for all cruisers. It doesn't make sense to me to have to have to grind it through a new ship when the mastery skills are the same. The four base mastery skills are the same.
3: Okay. Yeah. The the mastery. Yeah. The the skills are not the same. It's the mastery. Um, what's the term?
1: Passive traits. Yeah. 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 Are all the same throughout the the ship types, right? So all the escorts are the same. All the cruisers are the same. I want to be able to just do it on one. And this was something that I misunderstood way back when, when this was first introduced. And I was like, oh, okay, so I just have to do it one. No, 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 no. you got to do it on every ship. So they, not only do you have to do it on every ship, but then you have to do it on every character and then every ship that they have. So a lot of this content really isn't for the players with alternate tunes. And I'm, so I'm wondering if the metrics for Star Trek Online demonstrate or indicate that a majority of players only have one or two tunes.
3: Well, I, I'm going to go one further. I I bet a lot of people have more than one tune. I bet the metrics are showing that people only play with one tune. A majority of people.
1: I do have, you know, f- I think five alts altogether. So, you know, I think that yes, things like the reputation tokens or some type of token that allows your other tunes to level up faster. Uh, is maybe something that they should look into. Maybe something that the cryptic devs and, and PWE should look into because uh, you know the, the vocal minority are the ones that have more than five tunes and want to play those tunes. And maybe finding a way to monetize that in a way that is enticing for the player that has more than one tune. Yeah, monetize it. I'm saying monetize it. I don't care. You can get, You can get mad at me. But make it, make it in a way where you want to open your wallet and you want to spend money. And I know I already know that people are going to be like, they're already asking for us to spend money on the existing content and you're asking for them to make content to... Yeah, what to... are you talking about? Right, but no, I, I think that it just it, if, if the method or the feature is appropriate, then it would be worth something. It would be worth some type of real currency or dilithium or zen or whatever the case may be.
3: I want to go back to Starship Mastery for one second. I, I know that you know the cruisers. Uh, not all cruisers are the same, but all the battle cruisers are the same. All the you know all those are the same. Uh, instead of having you unlock that once for each class, they should. Uh, it would be nice if you only had to unlock it once for each ship. So, once you level up your Tier Six Intel uh, Escort, what, I forgot the name of it right now. Uh, Phantom. Yeah. Once you level up the Phantom to Starship Mastery Tier Five if that becomes an account unlock and all your other tunes just instantly have that. Because the whole point of this is to get you to spend time in each ship and learn how to use it, but once you've done that on one tune, you
1: don't need to relearn that on another. I think that's a fair compromise. It becomes an account-wide unlock in some way. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash priority1podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One or shoot an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com
1: Well, Admirals, that wraps up episode 197 of Priority One Podcast. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds dot podcastcom And don't miss our videos from our trip to cryptic studios by heading over to YouTube.com forward slash P1 Network. That's P, the number one, Network. And, of course, you can visit PriorityOnePodcast.com for
2: all of our content. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question in the comments section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. This week's question is, what do you think about the changes to content rewards, ship mastery, and content difficulty? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the official post for this episode on the Star Trek Online Forums.
0: Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One Podcast chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space priority one
1: captains we want to thank you for your ongoing support of priority one podcast be one of the 11 listeners we need to donate four dollars a month that's one dollar per episode that's less than a cup of coffee per episode to find out more visit patreon.com forward slash priority one
2: and don't forget to tune in to priority one productions guard frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. It's a pretty darn good show, and you should check it out.
0: The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle, and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at priority one podcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon Fleet Division, Warriors of Priority One. Join today! kapla!
1: A special thanks to Perfect World Entertainment and Cryptic Studios for spending two full days with Priority One Podcast, and to all the devs of Star Trek Online that sat and chatted with us about the game. A special thanks to Christine Kestrel-Thompson, lead writer for Star Trek Online, and content designer Kate Bankson. And again, Dr. Robert, thank you for joining us this week and filling in for Jace while he is settling in to his new home. Again, I'd like to take a moment this week and introduce to you two new full-time members to the Priority One Podcast team. Our new video editor, Jerry Tillman, and new writer, Jake Morgan. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineers, Skiffy and Ben Churchill, and to QA support staffer Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale, and to all our bloggers and their managing editor, L. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek Online community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be
2: possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage.
1: This is Stone News, Elijah, Sync 1.
0: This is at, uh, Star Trek Online News. news this is Cookie. Sync 2. I'm sorry. You're not doing it the way you normally do it. So it really, I don't know what you're doing, but it's not normal. See? We, none of us know what to do. None right. of us know what to do.
1: All right. This is Star Trek Online News in 3, <laughs> 2.
0: You
4: did it again.
0: <laughs> I need another countdown. Uh, Oh, are
1: we actually redoing (laughs) this Star Trek Online (laughs) News in three, two... No, let's just go.
0: Last week...
1: (laughs) What happened?
0: Is everybody still rolling and everything? Yes, yes. I'm still
1: rolling, yeah, I'm still rolling. Okay, three, two... (laughs) But you can also follow... I I can't... I quit. Okay.
0: Drink some... Have you you drinking any alcohol yet?
1: Just water. Maybe that's the problem. But you can follow... (laughs) So you're right, Skiffy. You're right.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Elijah would never say it. <laughs> <laughs> one particularly interesting observation the post made was, quote, adding failure well, conditions. Say,
1: say it was, um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, say it was gray because that, 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 oh, that, that, oh, yeah, oh, that one. Oh, that was great. Oh, oh, oh,
2: that's what you meant. Yeah, gray, yeah. Gray. Gray. Ah, sorry, mm-hmm. I misunderstood. I thought you were talking about highlighting color or something. <laughs> um, here we go. <laughs>
0: Oh, I just got what you're. Talking about. Oh man, I thought so too. I thought he meant grayed out, like he was grayed no, out no. as in you don't read the it
2: other gray. Anymore. No, no, no.
0: Okay. I didn't know you were going to bring out the sexy voice.
1: No, yes. <laughs> All right, captains. Now this is the time of the so show. Don't you where say we open. frequency.
0: Sorry, you messed up already. So I thought I could interrupt you with no problem. <laughs> <laughs> When I think of you, I touch my alts.
1: Captains, disca- admirals.
0: You know I am a captain of my ship, even yeah, though I'm an admiral. They're still, I'm still captains. Captaining my ship, and they
3: were admirals before the update. They're still admirals now.
0: So nothing has changed. Yes. Except for your mentality.
2: Of course, the <laughs> real problem is when you go back and you watch Star Trek. Remember that any time an admiral shows up on the show, they're pretty much an a-hole. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i was gonna say it but i didn't
2: oh yeah let's put that into the bloopers <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty darn good show and you should watch it who wrote that who did that <laughs> you should watch it you've got
3: two guesses but you're only going to need one yeah way to go, <laughs>
0: It's a thing we do here on the show. We try to make each other say things.
1: Yeah, it's really yes. yeah, yeah. So Hi, you, Ron yes. I'll try that again. <laughs> welcome,
2: welcome to your hazing. <laughs> I uh, I, w- I would expect no less. I've certainly heard enough of that in the uh, after-show uh, notes before. <laughs>